Costello. Welcome to the Growth Through Grief podcast, where we interview individuals just like you who are dealing with their own journey from loss to growth, along with mental health experts and growth guides, all with the purpose of helping you heal better, improve mind, body, and spirit, and find your new purpose from the loss and tragedy that you have experienced. I'm your host, Tom Pacello. I'm a growth evangelist as well as a fellow widower. I lost my beautiful bride, Judy. Of uh, she, We were married for 19 years, lost her about four and a half, five years ago. Uh, my guest today is one of those growth experts that we talk about. His name is Russ Scala. And I've known Russ for a number of years. He's the founder of Scala Precision Health and they deliver evidence-based, gender-specific, nutritional and hormonal testing and imaging, along with customized treatment protocols to improve patient recovery, health, and performance. And I think you'll understand a little bit about Russ's business when I mention the name of the book that he wrote, which is American Biohacker. So this session is all gonna be about our biology as we've experienced grief and loss what happens to us, and how you can use biohacking to overcome that. Russ is a speaker, an educator. He's an amazing consultant. He's a uh, generous and empathetic caregiver as well, taking so much time with every patient that he deals with. And it's an absolute honor to have him here today. Russ Scala, welcome. Hey, how are you guys doing? It's good to be here. Awesome. Man, thank you so much. So. Many of us, we've been through an incredible battle. And uh, for me, it was a 10 year on and off kind of roller coaster of dealing with first breast cancer and then a glioblastoma brain tumor with my late right. wife, Judy. Um, you know, that battle was lost, unfortunately. And it's traumatic when we go through that kind of experience. Uh, what I want to know from you, Russ, is what happens to our body during that battle? and then the aftermath of the grief? Yeah, okay, that that's a great question. Tom, you're very knowledgeable in this. I knew from our first meeting months ago that uh, you were trying to affect change and that you're on a journey yourself. So this is gonna be really important. This is one of those situations that um, where traditional medicine really doesn't have the answer. And one of the answers they do have is medicating emotions, you know, with antidepressants and we wanna avoid that. So. I wanna teach people, like you said, physiologically what's going on to our metabolism during the grieving process. So one of the things that we learn is that everyone is biochemically unique. One treatment protocol can affect everybody. Me as an 11th hour interventionist, I have to meet the patient where they are. How long were they going through the grieving process? Uh, we know that their physiology changes, their thyroid may slow down, their testosterone levels may dip off, their growth hormone level levels will, uh, will will stop producing growth hormone if they're under stress. We see the elevated cortisol in, in, in high stress occupations. We see elevated cortisol in people that are in the grieving process. So again, how long has the person been grieving? Um, what's their metabolic state right now? And what could we do to get them out of the railroad tracks so they could power through this and come out the other side uh, healthy? Absolutely so that's sort of a 60,000 foot view where we are. Yeah, and Russ, let's dive a little bit deeper um, because I know that a, a lot of the folks on uh, that listen to the podcast really are interested in some of the details. So the first is that we're going through a traumatic experience. Uh, the limbic system is gonna be activated. That's the middle part of our brain. 
and in particular right. the amygdala. And the amygdala is what right. kind of kicks in and fires to then fire up the reptilian brain, the, the brain stem, and then the rest of the nervous system, your breathing, your heart rate, your, your respiration, all of that. And essentially it puts you into fight, flight, freeze, or a new one I've learned now, fawn mode. Um, talk about that and the impact that that can have. You know, my history goes back to when I was a paramedic attached to the SWAT team for 20 years. I started to not only be face-to-face -face with patients at one of the most critical times of their life, but because I worked in a small town, Winter Park, I got to see the aftermath of some of these patients, as well as my coworkers. What was the stress and all this, you know, doing to my coworkers mm -hmm. that constantly responded to emergency calls? So, so Tom, you're right. The amygdala is the alarm center. When that goes off, when we're in basic flight or flight, everybody's biochemically unique, unique, the stress will impact everybody a little differently. But again, their metabolism starts to change because they, you know, this is a very frustrating time because loved ones like yourself, like what I went through and the people that are listening here, they don't have the tools um, to understand how to get through this. A lot of guys and people are proud. They don't want to ask for help. And this is one of the one of the only times that um, you don't you want to be able to ask for help and, and and not not worry about what you know what people are thinking. Get those two friends that you could really trust that will help you through this, even if they're just in the room, um, because physiologically you don't have to read the book Why Zebras Don't Get Ulcers to understand that stress at whatever level, physical, mental, or emotional stress starts to cause nutritional deficiencies, hormonal deficiencies, and this will impact our feel-good neurotransmitters, serotonin and dopamine. Now, just knowing that, we know that people are gonna go in the tank. A lot of them get med with, medicated with antidepressants, but the antidepressants, you know, maybe we, we, we may not, that, that may be just a bridge because we have to get through this. And medicating emotion during a tough time really suppresses all your growth and, and, and your activity, your positive activity. So there's a, you know, there's a, uh, there's a lot of new research coming out on this topic on what we can do. Now, one of the things that happens is sleep gets impacted, right? When we're stressed out, talk about the impacts on sleep first, and we'll go through a couple of the other impacts as well. Yeah, sleep is very important for recovery. Uh, the idea that we all need eight hours of sleep is completely wrong. There's actually five different levels of sleep. Uh, I've been studying the sleep process where long distance runners that run 200 to 400 miles actually could do something called micro sleeping where they could sleep for a minute and slowly recover. On the far side, police, firemen, myself, people go through and divorce you know, interrupted sleep patterns slows the recovery process of the trauma. Interrupted sleep patterns cause an imbalance in the gut-brain connection. The intestinal tract is the second brain. Um, I traveled to the first uh, gut testing lab in 1996 called the Great Smokies Diagnostic Lab. This is very important. Your gut is very important during the healing process. It's very important to understand your microbiome when, when you're trying to uh, sleep. And again, you're running scenarios in your head. You've just lost somebody. You lay your head down on the pillow at night and you start circulating these thoughts and, and you start ruminating. Well, in our 30s, we used to have little Pac-Men that ate up that extra stress. Once we get in our 40s and 50s, those little Pac-Men called monamine oxidase 
disappears. So if we cycle or we get upset after three o'clock, it will disrupt our sleep patterns through the night. So again, being aware of this and, and plugging in some interventions uh, that people can try, sleep is extremely important. That's extremely important. Yeah. Just shutting your eyes, you know, for 30 minutes is, is beneficial to the metabolism. Yeah, so meditation can help and then just making sure you're getting as much sleep as you need. I know that I use a sleep monitor to try to help. I knew that I wasn't getting enough sleep through recovery on some of the exercises and other things I was doing and also just from stress. I mean, sometimes, as you said, you put your head down on the pillow and it ruminates. It ruminates over the fear of going forward and, and reliving the loss and things like that. And I know a lot of people are suffering through that. Um, the other thing that stress and the amygdala being fired uh, can do is I know that it also has caused, and you mentioned the gut biome, how important it is. But for many of us who've gone through this, sometimes that's those increased stress levels can uh, suppress your appetite. And it can also mess with, even if you're eating well, I know the absorption of nutrients too, Russ. Talk about that a little bit. Yeah, we, that, that's great. Like I said, everybody everybody goes through stress differently. Some people compartmentalize it. Other people I've met that just can't get out of bed. I drove over to Tampa to, met, to meet an executive last year that was polishing off a fifth of, of vodka a day and was just staying in his robe on the couch. So again, stress hits everybody a little differently. We've got to meet them where they are. Um, you wanted to know how the, um, uh, the, the intestinal tract is affected? Yeah, is exactly. With the appetite suppression first, where that can be a, an issue for some, uh, you know. Yeah, like, like any, any animal, any hunters and gatherers, which we learn a lot of doctors should be studying evolutionary biology. Because if we're under stress, our blood circulation is going to go to our legs where we may have to run, we may have to move, and it's going to move away from our stomach. So if somebody's grieving and they're under this, in this grieving process, every day, basically, depending on the study, you need about 21 minerals, 13 vitamins, nine amino acids from protein, two essential fatty acids. If you don't get that during the grieving process, you're gonna mine it out of your own tissue. And that's what you wanna avoid. You wanna avoid being severely deficient as you see your way through this process because everything is interconnected. We can't just treat nutrition. We can't just have counseling. We can't just treat hormonal levels. We can't just treat the gut. What my team does is we look at everything. And depending on, on where the patient is and the feedback and the testing, we kind of get a basic idea of what to, you know, what to help them with. And talk as well, you mentioned real quickly cortisol, which I know is kind of the, I know it is the stress hormone and we're talking about stress. So talk about cortisol levels, the short and term, long-term impact of that. And I know for me, I, I believe that that's what caused adrenal fatigue because I was going through stress for such a long period of time. That's a great example. I've worked with endurance athletes, myself, police, fire, a lot of people that have secreted excess cortisol levels, including executives mothers with postpartum depression. So cortisol wakes us up in the morning and, and carries us through the day. It's a natural uh, hormone in our body. It's made from cholesterol. And then right around two or three o'clock, melatonin starts to be released and our body gets ready for sleep at two or three o'clock. So the cortisol, melatonin, circadian rhythm is extremely important. 
How do you restart that circadian rhythm? One of the things we do is have somebody go outside and let the sun hit their eyes for about 10 minutes. That, that restarts it. So I measure cortisol saliva testing. When somebody's in adrenal fatigue, we have to support their adrenal glands with hydrocortisol, five milligrams to 40 milligrams. So everybody is on a continuum. Cortisol is extremely important. During stress, you could be pushing out too much cortisol, and then you hit a wall, and your adrenal glands don't put out any cortisol at all, and it has to be supported. Cortisol also suppresses thyroid, estrogen, progesterone, um, testosterone, and growth hormone. Uh, older people and war veterans and police and fire, cortisol hammers the hippocampus. Hippocampus, there's people that are under a lot of stress, they always start to lose their short-term memory. So that's, you know, some of the things that we could see right away and kind of alert people to they need to plug in some behavioral interventions so they could see their way through this, uh, you know, what they're going through. Yeah. Now, Russ, what I want to do is talk about what people typically do to kind of address some of these issues. Right. We're under stress. Um, we've got the fight, flight, freeze, fawn response going. We've got our hormones messed up cortisol production, melatonin maybe not being produced, so we're not sleeping. And so what does the grieving widower do? Well, a lot go and grab a few extra drinks a day to kind of go to sleep. Or as you said, maybe they go to a doctor and that doctor wants to provide a fix. And so they sub, uh, you know, subscribe or uh, prescribe um, an antidepressant, or maybe they prescribe a sleep pill, right? to get them just to affect the short-term uh, issues. Talk about that kind of medication, self-medication and then prescription medication uh, first. And then what I wanna do next is kind of get into, okay, what's the real way to go about addressing this? So alcohol first. Right, so, no, no, exactly. So um, I meet people where they are and if somebody is, really grieving and they really obviously you can tell that it's it, it's it's it just been only a few few weeks i try not to impact their diet or their drinking I, i'm just i just listen to them run some lab work and i sort of move real slow with them because i know their feel-good neurotransmitters serotonin and dopamine are really low and a lot of people that they go through this grieving process all their dead air, all their downtime is, is, is about thinking about this person that they love, they miss. How am I going to replace this person? Do I have to get back out in the dating field? How am I going to get back to work? They're constantly cycling thoughts in their mind. And one of the things they got to do, and I hear this all the time, is, Russ, how can I shut my brain off? Well, there's ways we could do that. But what happens to people, and you can understand this, I worked in the addiction market for 20 years. People that drink alcohol the alcohol elevates their estrogen levels mm. and estrogen elevates the feel good chemical serotonin. So you can understand why women start drinking or men start drinking. They're basically medicating their brain, their brain um, with, with alcohol. And then they're following it up with simple carbohydrates, white rice, uh, pasta, uh, bagels, uh, any, any of the simple carbohydrates will also mm. elevate serotonin levels. I call that the poor man's Prozac package. <laughs> And uh, so they medicate themselves. A lot of times when I correct hormonal levels, I hear this all the time. 
wow, you know, I didn't even I didn't even want to drink today for some reason. And that reason is, is because the hormones, the estrogen, the testosterone, the progesterone we're providing people is balancing out their brain chemistry and, and they don't make the association with the drinking. But, you know, that's that's what it is. Yeah. Now, Russ, in my personal journey that, you know, and, and we've talked about just, uh, you know, at the coffee shop that we both frequent and I've had the pleasure of meeting you at, um, I went cold turkey. I right the day after my wife passed away, I knew that alcohol was a, you know, I was using it to medicate through the process. And I also right. knew that it was going to be a big inhibitor if I were ever to try to make improvements going forward. I was drinking very sugary oriented drinks, which doubly compounded right. from the alcohol and the sugar. And then, like you said, one of the things I didn't realize, you know, after the, the drinks, I was grabbing a bag of chips, uh, especially went well with the margaritas that I drank. And, you know, it was not a healthy lifestyle. And I was, you know, blessed enough to, to kind of be really motivated and have hit rock bottom to, you know, not need, although if you need it, definitely go through it. As you said, you worked in the addiction field for a while. We know that there are great treatment programs out there for those who can't on their own do it. Um, there's nothing wrong with going to ask for help. There's nothing wrong to go through a 12-step program or something similar to overcome it. But eventually you do have to get off of the alcohol. Um, it will produce that extra estrogen, which may have the feel good, you know, in the near term, but it will then overcome, overpower the testosterone in your body. And as we men get older, in particular widowers, um, we're going to suffer from that elevated estrogen level and the, the, ultimately the lower testosterone, correct? Exactly. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And Very it's good. a temporary fix. It's medicating. And, and, you know, as we look to grow through this process, which we're all here to grow through the grief um, and create a new 2.0 version, uh, as you said, right away, your recommendation is try not to change too much. I agree with that. A lot of us do need yeah. temporary, that temporary crutch isn't a bad thing, but longer term getting off of that alcohol, I think is important. Yeah, I mean, a lot of people that I meet, Tom, they're a little standoffish. They got their, uh, they got their guard up. Mm -hmm. They wanna know about me. They wanna know about my history. They wanna know about what I went through. And I let them know right away that I'm not the food Nazi. I'm not the alcohol Nazi. We gotta see this thing through. Um, I say there's four stages of liver failure. So uh, we've got a lot of time, but eventually we wanna cycle out of these bad behaviors because I know you wanna move forward with your company. You've got kids that you wanna see. You love other people and other family members. Right now, somebody just set, took a picture, a flash bulb just went off in your face. I don't expect you to, you know, to, to pull a ripcord on, on, on this jet fighter that you're in. You're being twirled upside down. You're going 100 miles an hour, Mach 2 with your hair on fire. You're trying to make decisions that they're not going to be good decisions. So I try to stay on the sidelines in the beginning, send them research, tell them about other people that I work with, get some lab work done, point out the nutritional deficiencies that affect their brain chemistry. I'm um, like one guy I just did a test on last week. He's in a bad spot. He goes, man. I didn't know I was deficient in magnesium. I go, well, some people are, some people aren't. Magnesium is involved in over 700 uh, reactions in the body. He started replacing magnesium. He goes, you know, I could really feel it after the first week. So I didn't say anything. I'm like, okay, 
now I got buy-in. He understands that what we're doing is looking at his biochemical individuality, and we're going to not use sweeping generalizations, but we're going to have specific targets like a sniper to help him get out of the railroad track. So it's like walking up a flight of stairs, Tom, with a yo-yo in your hand. We're going to take steps up together, up the stairs every day. The yo-yo will be the diet mood uh, fluctuations of, of energy levels. Yeah. And as you said, Russ, if you can get the balance in the brain fixed so that the serotonin is being produced, the dopamine is being produced the right way, then you, you feel less of a need for that medication. Same thing when it comes to the doctor medication of the antidepressants and sleep aids, right? If you can get the melatonin right, if you can get the, the dopamine, the serotonin and the oxytocin kind of all at the right levels, then maybe you don't need those antidepressants and sleep aids in the long term. And one of the things, if you go through this and, and, and change your physiology, your brain is actually developing new brain tissue. As you know, we talked about neuroplasticity. Yeah. While you're going through this process, while you're following some basic protocols, your brain is developing new brain tissue because your brain is releasing something called brain-derived neurotropic factor. That's miracle growth for the brain. Now, if you take an antidepressant or if you medicate yourself with alcohol, you may be shutting that process down. So again, um, I, I always try to, my team, we try to meet people where they are, really see how their metabolism and they're being impacted. I like to get, uh, tell me what you do on a daily basis from getting up in the morning to going to bed at night. And that sort of gives you an idea where people are. Yeah. So you, when you begin the healing process with your patients, Russ, to overcome grief, if someone's suffering from grief, or I know you deal with a lot of other issues, but I know a lot of these are the same. First is you like to get a baseline with them, right? What is a day in the life of, if it was me as the patient and you treating me, what's, what's a day in the life of Tom look like? And that's one of the first things that you do, right? Uh, yeah, I look, I, I, I get, uh, first of all, I do therapeutic listening for a few hours. I send them to some videos because I want to educate them. I've got the Russ Scali YouTube channel where I have a lot of free videos. They can learn about the gut-brain connection, how stress impacts the body. Those videos are four minutes, short attention span, but I start planting the seed. And then once I talk to them, I do therapeutic listening. Then about my third or fourth consult, I start plugging in very basic interventions that they could apply. Because at that point, they're, only, they're trying to get through, not every day, they're trying to get through every couple hours. And then, Russ, you go and do some blood testing, right? Talk about that. Talk about what you recommend there. Well, our blood, our blood testing that we do are not offered in the, by their general practitioner. So I share the blood work with them that they need to get from their general practitioner. And sometimes the general practitioner says, I don't know what I'm going to, I don't know what these results are going to be because I've never ordered this before. And it's basically looking at estrogen, testosterone, growth hormone. It's looking at all the hormonal levels and the endocrine system. The other test that we do is a urine sample. It looks at vitamins, minerals, amino acids, microbiome, and uh, in, whether environmental toxins are damaging your DNA. We look at all your feel-good chemicals in your brain. So that's the baseline. Here in lies the rub. With this, I could see whether they're severely deficient in serotonin, severely deficient in dopamine, or, or they may not be. Maybe they're able to compartmentalize stress and have a couple of drinks a night. Well, a couple of drinks a night 
after you just lost a loved one, to me, is not that bad. And if they're hanging on and this is getting them through when they are sleeping, then I could adjust the treatment protocol. Now, if they're going off the deep end, driving their car fast, they're using drugs, some people are gravitate towards highly dangerous behavior, then I've got to incorporate something ASAP. And I, I even have a counselor that will call them daily. Yeah. So once you've got that baseline and you begin making these adjustments, how do you make those adjustments to the brain chemistry, to the gut biome? Well, great. That's a great question. One of the things we do is we impact in a male or female, we look at everything that impacts the brain chemistry. Okay. Where are they right now? So in a man, we may look at the HPA axis. So we optimize his thyroid T3 and T4. We optimize his testosterone. Now a male testosterone level will go from 300 to a thousand. If a doctor sees you at 400 while you're in the grieving process, he says, Oh, you're fine within range. That isn't what we want. We want to get the range up into the eight, 900 range. So the, the, the testosterone, the natural producing testosterone will help elevate serotonin levels. So for a male, we look at estrogen and testosterone, progesterone ratio. Progesterone binds the same receptor sites as Prozac and Xanax, very important for the brain chemistry. We look at thyroid T3 and T4, uh, fasting insulin, cortisol, and hemoglobin A1C. That's just the blood work that we do. That will give me an overall of the brain chemistry. And uh, part of my contracts with clients is they've got to maintain their general practitioner, and usually I can get them to run that lab work through uh, through their GP, and then we we figure out a fee moving forward whether they want to continue to stay on a monthly program. They want us to balance their nutritional hormonal levels. There's two separate fees for that. Mm -hmm. So part of it, as you mentioned, is there's a nutrition component, right? It's what you're putting in your body, both drink and eat, that is going to help to boost those levels or repress the ones that you want to repress a little bit more. There's going to be supplements that you take. And then I know, and I'm curious about, because I haven't taken advantage of this, is kind of the bioidentical hormone field. So talk a little bit about the nutrition and the drink, supplements, and then bioidentical hormones, and then anything else that you're using as a tool to kind of help. Oh. Well, right. If you go online and look at all the, there's a lot of testosterone gurus out there. And uh, I did a lot of, I, I, my, my expertise is in performance and longevity. How does physical, mental, and emotional stress compromise our body? Well, there is a sweeping generalization. We all start losing our hormones at around 30. Testosterone is extremely important for the heart. If you have low testosterone levels and um, low normal levels, you will your arteries become blocked. You know, we've got 30,000 cardiologists in the United States that still thinks fat causes heart attacks. The paradigm in heart disease treatment is completely changing. I just shot a couple of videos with Tony uh, on my YouTube channel. Um, the heart, if, and nobody thinks about this, Tom, your heart beats 100,000 times a day. It, 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 it circulates over 2,000 gallons of blood. And just that motion alone can cause blockages in the arteries. And that's what a lot of people don't understand. Can you imagine a pump that starts a few weeks in vitro and can beat all the way up until you're almost 90 years old? It's phenomenal to think about. So we also know that testosterone is extremely important to keep the arteries dilated, keep blood sugar down. Now, 
doctors, because of the performance enhancement scare, they're like, oh, I, I, I worry about testosterone because, well, to, I said, doc, I usually tell the doctors, or, do you have a hard time uh, giving somebody thyroid hormone? Oh, no. I go, well, thyroid and testosterone work together. So this is where we educate the patient. We send them research to take to his doctor. This is extremely important to optimize thyroid, progesterone, estrogen, testosterone, and cortisol in men. In women, we look at the OAT axis, the ovary adrenal thyroid axis, and when we dial that three-legged stool in, the same thing happens. We look at uh, a woman has three estrogens, estradiol, estrone, and estriol, progesterone, testosterone, okay? She has uh, thyroid T3 and T4 and cortisol. Now, where does she fall on that continuum? How deficient is she? And if we replace all these deficiencies, it will affect her brain chemistry so she could better handle the grieving process. So when we look at the gut biome, which you mentioned, I know like I got a, a gut biome test from a company called Viome, uh, Najin Jain, his company. And um, it was really helpful for me to balance my diet, to really optimize my, my second brain, my gut. Uh, which right. then influences your venal vagus nerve uh, and then communicates up to your brain and it goes right into your limbic system. When you have a gut feel, that is your brain and the limbic system kind of activating to um, kind of control your emotions. And that's the emotional tie to the gut. So the gut is really responsible for a lot of mood, a lot of fight, flight, fear responses that go on. And you've got to optimize that. So when I got exactly that, very good, I got that gut biome test. It really gave me a list of okay, here's here's what it looks like from a bacteria and viral level, uh, but also here's the foods that you really should be eating to turbocharge that good bacteria to instill growth in that good bacteria, and then also the foods that you should be avoiding that are going to create more of the bad hormones or, or affect viruses and spark viruses within your gut. Exactly. And, uh, you know, you, you did a good thing. Um, I've watched your evolution over a few years. The only thing different is if you were, if you and I met a few years ago, we would have pulled all this together really fast for you. And that, that, that is what it is. But now us sharing this information, People are going to listen to us. They're going to see that there's light at the end of the tunnel. They're, they're going to know that their doctors uh, don't have this information. And this is how we pay it forward, Tom. It really is. Yeah, for me, it was a lot of trial and error, Russ. I couldn't agree with you more. I probably should have, should have been on a program with you from the beginning. But, you know, wherever that journey is, I think is, is great. So we talk about not going it alone and the emotional impact of grief. Talk about that a little bit. Yeah, um, they're, they're Dr. Sapowski, who wrote the book, Why Zebras Don't Get Ulcers. And um, he wrote another book, 700 pages called Behave. He's really focused on psychoneuroimmunology. And that's a big word, but it basically says that we're while we're under stress, our immune system becomes suppressed. And um, he studied uh, monkeys, baboons. He went to Africa. He would knock out baboons with sleeping darts and measure their cortisol levels. I mean, this guy is definitely on the tip of the spear uh, when, it, when it comes to understanding this. And then he applies a lot of this to what happens to humans. 
We know heart diseases kill 17 million people a year, and a lot of people die from heart attacks when they're under stress. So the hormones cortisol that you and I talked about and adrenaline actually cause vasoconstriction. It causes your arteries to close up. So um, the stress, you know, the, the, the stress definitely lowers our immune system. Um, when our body is mining nutrients and our testosterone levels are low, believe it or not, muscle mass, muscle wasting is called sarcopenia, and it just got labeled as a disease. We think people over 60 are going to experience so much muscle wasting that their, their immune system is, is, is really going to go in the tank. So we're trying to understand how to maintain muscle mass as we age. And even Elon Musk, we sent this information to NASA. I read Scott Kelly's book, who spent a year in space. His twin brother was on the ground. They did blood work. He came back with low muscle mass, heart damage. And if we're going to go to Mars and it's going to take two years, nobody's focusing on muscle wasting, believe it or not. I mean, it's very important. When you're going through the grieving process, it's almost like being in a zero gravity environment. You're in another atmosphere going through the grieving process because you're mining nutrients and amino acids out of your own muscle tissue because your brain, there's chess players that lose weight playing a chess tournament in two days. Your brain is highly metabolically active. It uses 20% of our circulating oxygen and your brain doesn't shut off. Even when you're dreaming, you're burning calories. Well, the same thing with your heart that beats 100,000 times a day. Those two things alone can drain your body of nutrition while you're going through the grieving process. And, and nobody really helps people understand that. Now, you mentioned the why zebras don't get sick, but I didn't hear, unless I missed it, the punchline of why they don't. Is it because of the herd that they're in? Is it because they're not alone? Is it because of something unique in their... Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And uh, why zebras don't get ulcers is... Uh, a metaphor for just, you know, let, 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 let's look at a war veteran. If you and I were going to join the Marines and go to special forces and go to BUDS and then become a, a Navy SEAL, you and I would never be five feet apart during the whole time. But if Tom, if you got injured or I got injured, you would go home alone. Now they're starting to rethink that whole process. You need to stay with your team, being with your team, being with people that understand you, being with why do cops hang out with cops? You know, I was a paramedic. I hung out with paramedics. I, I isolated myself because a normal person that's raving, that's raising children, they don't want to hear all the bad stuff that we see. Yeah. And, and me being an 18-year-old paramedic, seeing stuff I've never seen before, I didn't have nobody to talk to. So I definitely didn't want to take these horrific stories home to my parents or my girlfriend. So a lot of times I would isolate myself. I would drink at the time and try to deal with it. And that wasn't the way to go either. Yeah. And so having a tribe like what the Growth Through Grief community is about, what other communities are about in the in the grief, uh, whether it be a grief share or other outlets, I think is really important. And I know that in the beginning, I certainly had friends that would reach out, friends that cared, but they were part of my old almost persona, right, of the husband, of the uh, father. And those were the relationships. And I really needed to find almost a new tribe, not to replace that old tribe, but a tribe of, as you said, kind of fellow paramedics or fellow firemen, or now in this case, fellow widowers who have experienced this so that we can share a little bit and so that we know that we're not. Yeah, but you're defining, 
Yeah, and, and what we're doing right here is so important. It's as important as the nutrition. Like I said, what you and I, I are doing right now to educate people, you know, with me being, being a his, growing up in Jersey, my dad was a union president. We were pretty tough. Um, when I lost both my parents, people, a few people came out of the woodwork and uh, said, well, I know what you need. I'm like, you have no idea what I need. Mm -hmm. I just, I, I wasn't negative, but for me to align myself with my 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 tribe, I gravitated towards the war vets, mm -hmm. the counselors that would help war vets, the counselors that would help uh, alcoholic detectives. They kind of understood me a little bit better mm -hmm. and I was able to build a tribe that way. Regular people um, that we consider friends, they know us and they have a certain skill set. Maybe they could do some therapeutic listening. Maybe they could sit down and have dinner with us. But that's that's it. That's all I could do. No disrespect to them. But mm -hmm. like you said, finding a new tribe, like you said, of fellow widowers, you have more of a connection with them than you do your neighbor who you've known for 15 years. Yeah. Right. Yeah, absolutely. And yeah. like you said, it's not like abandon those friends. Although I know that some people who've gone through this process have kind of reevaluated their friend groups to maybe remove the ones that were a bad influence that could take them down that wild path or that destructive path. Right. Replace them. Yeah, the energy vampires. The energy vampires are very, they're, they're just not good. It's like, come on, Bubba, let's go out. You know, let's go get a few drinks. And I'm like, I don't need a few drinks, man. Yeah. I'm trying to get through this. I balanced out my hormonal levels. Actually, my clients, my clients that needed me are almost a second family to me. I've had clients for 15 years. And I maintain my client contact. And even when I was going through my darkest time, I still felt like these people needed me. And I had to, I had to step up to the plate. And I couldn't go down completely because I, I knew they needed me. And that's sort of how I was raised. But the other people that, that you know, I met a couple of counselors that, that said, I know what you're going through. The guy sitting across the table with me was 300 pounds. I'm like, obviously, you don't know what I'm going through. And you're medicating yourself with food. Hit the bricks. Kind of said that in my head. Yeah. Um, it's very lonely while you're going through this. That's why meeting like-minded people, having people that are grieving here, what you and I are talking about, they can almost start the process after they watch our video. And that, and that, that's what got me out of bed when I knew we were going to do this. I'm like, okay, we could really make some difference. We can make a difference. Absolutely. And you, you did mention another one quickly. I won't go into this too much because I, I want to get to um, the big piece of the one piece of advice you can give, but you did mention helping others as one of the ways that you healed. You had your patients, you were able to kind of help them. And I think there's something really to be said for that. It's finding your tribe from a mental and a spiritual place, but also a mental spiritual place is if you're in a place where you can help and you can have that purpose and you can feel like, hey, even if I'm grieving and even if I haven't figured everything out, if I could just be there for someone else and be there to listen and be there to help them, that actually helps you at the same time. And I know this has been, you know, creating growth through grief and participating in this with other widowers has helped me as much as it's helped anyone else. Yeah, I think that's very important. You know, you would think that when you're in the grieving process, you would think you're handcuffed to the Titanic and you don't want and you want to isolate yourself, but it's a complete opposite. Mm -hmm. Like if you if you meet somebody and you know that they need somebody and you kind of get up in the morning and you think about how they're doing, how they may need you, it gives you that interval of time, Tom, like you did. You're helping this person. And while you're trying to impact their life, 
you're forgetting about what you went through. And then when you lay your head down on the pillow at night, you're going, wow, um, I really hope so-and-so gets through this. I really enjoy helping them. And in fact, it seems like the two people I'm helping, I'm thinking about them at night and I'm going to sleep. Holy mackerel. How did that happen? Yeah. Right? Yeah. Yeah. I swear. Doing good. Doing good and sharing love, I think, is is so important in this process. Even if you don't feel like you've got it all figured out or that you might not have love to give, it's there. So uh, absolutely, Russ. What's the one piece of advice you'd like to leave our Growth Through Grief, our Growth Warriors with today? Well, one thing, I know everybody, everybody, listen, um, it's going to be painful, but suffering is optional. You don't have to suffer. And listen to what Tom and I said. There's some basic things you could do, even if your world is upside down. Even if you feel like you're spiraling out of control, getting out in the sun once a day, okay, getting your basic lab work done, looking and finding deficiencies early on, because the only way around this is to go straight through it, and you need to do it with certain people. And this community, I don't know of another community like this. This community can be life-saving for you. You know, Eric Topol, the head of the Cleveland Clinic, wrote a book seven years ago. It's called The Patient Will See You Now. He said people are going to form communities. People are going to run their own lab work. People are going to heal each other, Mm. like Tom's doing here, all without a physician. And that's coming true as as we're talking. Uh, Russ, I absolutely love that. And thank you so much, brother, for participating in the Growth Through Grief podcast, sharing your biohacking advice. Uh, I know that you too have experienced loss of your your parents and and know this well. So thank you so much for that personal experience and personal advice. Yeah, I, I, I just... I just feel this is my mission and I love what you're doing and hopefully we'll keep brainstorming together, Tom. Absolutely. And we'll, we'll definitely have you back because I do want to deep dive on a couple of these topics a little bit more. Uh, man, if you like what you've heard, please hit the like button. Be sure to subscribe to stay up to date on the latest uh, episodes of our podcast. And until next time, my growth warriors, keep growing.